Hey, this is Mo Maduro with the Life Expansion After 50 podcast. We've gone through the seven fitness series. That last one, financial, let me tell you, I've traded futures and options. I've done stocks. I've had businesses on the side. I had businesses as primary. I've sold financial services. I've lost hundreds of thousands of dollars. I've doubled my money inside of a month multiple times. The financial conversation is so broad and so deep that it's difficult to tackle it. I do think there's a case to be made, and I was not always here in this thought process, but I think there's a case to be made about having a financial advisor. You always get to cut the deck. You always make to come up with your own point of view. You can even do your own research and use the financial advisor as someone to bounce ideas off of. But when you talk about the, the, the 11 million bits per second processing of the unconscious versus the conscious mind, we're just outclassed. We're just outclassed. And because there's so much money to be made, you, we talked about the compounding. And when you have people with billions of dollars trying to make billions more, there's no limit to what they can do to, to make that happen. And so we're outgunned. It's gotten to the point where, and I can't say I saw this firsthand, but I talked to somebody who was in the know, and they, was, they were saying it was getting so bad that market makers were jockeying to get their building closer to the exchange so that they could get a millisecond advantage in terms of the processing time. I mean, that's ridiculous. And to think that an, as an individual, I could keep up with that. I tried it. I, I tried it, and I had to finally accept the fact that there's no way in the world I was going to be able to match that. At, in that trading, uh, investing is different, but if you're trading and you're trading against these multiple trades in, in milliseconds, how do you compete with that? If I recall the story correctly, they required a certain amount of latency to, to even the playing field because otherwise people were paying as much as they had to to get closer to the exchange just for that millisecond advantage. That just gives you a sense before you step out there thinking you're going to make a career day trading. I'm not saying don't do it, but just understand that you better have some good advisors and you, you want to have somebody keeping the perspective because the dopamine, and that's where I got caught up, the dopamine and the serotonin hits. Every time I increased my position, I'd have to go through that again. I didn't know what I know now. I didn't know that at the time. Getting into those situations with and having the dopamine just take charge or the serotonin, I was in fight or flight and didn't even know it. And that's the entry into today's conversation. We're talking about be, do, have. And I've set the model up. The, so you got the re mental, physical, spiritual on the left. You have emotions in the middle. And that's all the being and the doing is on the left side. And then you have on the right side, the relationship, professional, and financial, which is what we want. Health, wealth, love, relationships, et cetera, happiness. That's on the right side. And so we have to be the person first, not chasing validation, not chasing clout or whatever it is that, that makes you happy. I used to say to people, hey, if if you need someone to validate you, the very fact that you need validation is going to invalidate you. And this is what happens when you're in the have-do-be. You get locked into this. I know people who would weigh themselves and adjust, this is in the old days with the dial, they would adjust the scale so that it would look like they weighed less, and that made them have a good day. I mean, how, how far removed are they from reality? And so when we get into the be-do-have, it's being real authentic. It's putting the conscious mind back in charge. Now, we have, either, we have chosen either by default or intentionally to let the unconscious run the show. And that's how we get into this have-do-be. Advertising pushes us there. Our conditioning pushes us there. And it start, you have to start peeling away. And then you start moving into the be-do-have where you're deciding on your life. So when someone says, well, what kind of a business should I have? It depends. 
you first have to decide what's your purpose. You could build a brand around that purpose, but you want to understand the B part. What's the, the life you're designing? And then becoming that person. And then the do and the have flows from that naturally. But if you're chasing the car, I've been there. I mean, I've had great cars and you know, you, you get the car and it just, it's not going to do it for you. Now, motorcycles were a little bit different because you have the speed and the performance and you can get some excitement from that. But just because I paid a certain amount for a motorcycle, I had a great chopper motorcycle, custom paint job, the whole nine yards, riding around New York City and I was on top of the world, but it didn't change who I was. And that motorcycle became my identity. And then when the season was over, I felt like I was a depressed person. I, it's like, so you've got to understand, I talked about that a little bit too with the military rank. When you have a certain position in the military and people retire and they're dead within two years. It's not just the military. It happens in a lot of industries because they just have no meaning anymore. But when you focus on the be, do, have, you don't have those problems. The be, do, have allows you to design a life, a rich, rewarding life, that's focused on your purpose and your values, and you can focus on leaving a legacy for future generations, and you're living into that self-actualization. When you're in that bottom of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and you're in that doom loop of safety and security and love, and you just keep going around and around in a circle, you've got to bounce out, and then you get to esteem. But if you're in the have, do, be, you're never recognized enough. Getting into be, do, have, your recognition of yourself and your worth is all you need. That's all you need to clear that esteem level. And once you've cleared the esteem level, you can actually work on self-actualization. Now, it may, you may tell me that's easy to say. It's easy to say and it's easy to do once you put the conscious mind back in charge. As long as the unconscious is in charge, all it's doing is repeating yesterday's. All it knows to do is repeat the conditioning that you already have and it is going to be difficult because you're fighting against 95% that's all conditioning with the 5% conscious mind. Now, I, I don't think you're ever going to be having your conscious mind and running the show uh, all the time. I'm, I don't even want that. I mentioned that before. But the point is to have it running the show enough at the crucial junctures so that you are designing the life and then living the life that you've designed and becoming that person first. And when you become that person, you're no longer seeking the validation. When you become that person, you can be true to the brand and you can go after the win-win or no deal. You don't have to play the win-lose game anymore. One of the ways that you can tell if you're falling into a have-do-be is when you start looking around for what are the rules. Once you start looking for what are the rules, remember the rules are created by people and and, and and organizations, but organizations are made up of people, and people are conditioned, and we're largely conditioned the same way. We went through a school system that's pretty much the same. Even around the world, there's so many similarities, and that zero to seven, that conditioning is, is largely the same. And because this information has not been out there, people don't realize that they can reprogram. And there are many people who do reprogram themselves, and they talk about a consciousness but they're not trying to convey it because it's so difficult to get it across to people who have not crossed the river. Once you cross the river, you see it and you can't go back, you can't unsee it. But when you're on the conditioned side of the river, it just doesn't make any sense. It's like talking to a brick wall. And that's why following this be, do, have, 
I will begin to focus on the cognitive biases. There's a 20 to 25 cognitive biases that I've identified that have a pretty big hand in keeping us from reaching our goals, especially as it relates to business and finances, that get in the way of us becoming the best version of ourselves. And each episode, I'll tackle two to three cognitive biases with what you can do on purpose to, to minimize it. Let me unpack that a little bit. If you look at the general theme of what people do when, it, when we're talking about accessing your untapped potential, even in this, these episodes, you may think it's more about working harder and working smarter. And yes, that's part of it. You do have to have a baseline of understanding. If you're not understanding this part about the conscious mind and the separation from the unconscious and why you need to be in charge, you're going to be feeling like you're on a treadmill or a hamster wheel. But once you get that part understood, it's still work to be able to do the things. And you have to trust and you have to meditate and you have to keep working. It's like you've got to keep pulling the weeds out of the garden or they're going to come overtake, they're going to overtake the garden. But here's the deal. We are already enough. We are doing enough. We have enough. And because of this theme I have that says every two years, if you make an assessment, you're more qualified to do something better than anybody else on the planet. So we continue to progress. So this first part, this first phase of living into your best version of yourself, the seven fitness areas, we're going to focus on plugging the leaks, plugging the energy leaks, conserving some of that energy that gets wasted. By leading with purpose, you're already starting to do that. But then we want to plug those other gaps. And I'm going to use two cognitive biases, I think, that paint a picture that everyone can relate to. The first one is a variation of the confirmation bias. And, the con and this one says that if I hear three things from you that are undeniably true, I then trust you as a source. And the fourth thing that you tell me, I'm just going to accept it. I won't even question. And once I've accepted you as a credible source, it would take 11 counter examples for me to doubt you. This is a terrible, terrible thing. And marketers use it. Uh, charlatans use it. People who want to press conspiracy theories use it. If you ever ask yourself, how is it that we can have otherwise intelligent officials buying into these crazy conspiracy theories that are obviously false? Obvious to you because you didn't go through the sequence of the three undeniably true statements. It's the same way that some financial organizations have sold newsletters. They send, send out newsletters with a series of predictions to random people. And then the people who got the prediction that came true, they send those people a series of predictions. And to that segment, whose predictions came true, then they double down and sell the big ticket offer to that group because they've had those examples where, wow, these guys' predictions came true. This is how you set up a conspiracy theory. This is how you get people so committed. You've seen it. If you lived in the States, you've seen how committed these people can be in terms of believing something that's obviously false. It's only obviously false to the people who are outside looking in. If you're in it, your confirmation is kicked in, and that's how powerful a cognitive bias is. It's also what uh, 
uh, Robert Cialdini talks about in his book, Persuasion, but more importantly, I think influence. He talks about social proof, how you can have people walking past a person who's on the ground, obviously needed some help, but if no one else stops, they don't stop. But when they put a researcher in there in the mix and they have this researcher stop, then more people stop. I mean, there's just so many, it goes on and on and on how powerful cognitive biases are. They're harmful because people take advantage of you. And these are energy leaks because you end up wasting time and energy and money because you're chasing something that, that's not there, but you're caught in this loop. Another one, and I think this one really hurts business, and it's called the planning fallacy. The planning fallacy says that we overestimate what we can do next week. So this is like you missed the two days in the gym this week, but you say that, well, you'll make it up next week. You'll go four times next week to make it up. And the next week you missed the four times, but, and I'm exaggerating a little bit, but the people will double down again and say, yeah, but I can do it next week because, and they're going to do four or six times the next week they plan that. And they keep missing it and missing it and missing it, but they don't ever recognize that they're caught in this planning fallacy loop. And it has to do with projections. If you're in sales, you, you, you've experienced it. You know, next week you're going to make more calls and the calls don't happen. If you're doing some other form of business. Next week, you're going to spend the extra 10 hours to build that landing page or whatever it is, and it doesn't happen. The planning fallacy is real. And until you learn to discount what you think you can do, you're always going to be falling short of your goals, and then you're going to be falling short of your projections, and you're, you're also taking a hit on your own psyche because you're not able to do it and you lose confidence. If you can discount what you're saying you'll be able to do and then look at that realistically, and use fact-based and data to back it up and have a contingency plan when you can start doing that. And you have to do it every single week because the planning fallacy is very real. And those are just two brief examples. There's another one. It's not really a cognitive bias, but I'm going to loop it in there. And it's the decision fatigue and the impact on willpower. So as our brain was developing and we're getting into our teens, we could do a lot with just pure willpower, sheer willpower. And if you were in, I was in martial arts and the discipline, you can apply this thing and you can make anything happen. Well, something happens when you get to the prefrontal cortex. Once your prefrontal cortex is there, you're now judging and you're now using energy. Uh, it's, it's a little bit overstating it, but sort of arguing with yourself. Your willpower is saying, I want to do this, I can do it. But your prefrontal cortex is now this judger, right, plan, organize, direct, and control, look at the risks. And it's literally telling you that, well, it's not going to work because of this. It's not going to work because of that. And so now you're expending energy fighting with your prefrontal cortex, and I'm simply oversimplifying it. But the point is we're using up energy to do that, and that energy takes away from your willpower. And so that willpower you may have been able to summon when you were 18 years old, it's not there at 28. And as you hit 38 and 48, it wanes even more. And the more decisions you make in a day, the more your willpower wanes. So you don't want to set up systems and processes based on willpower. You want to set it up. That's why, again, back to the be, do, have. You become the person that you need to be. You plug up the leaks, and then you allow that energy to do its thing. So that's just three examples of the traps that we fall into over and over and over. And even though I told you right now, some people will be able to hear that, know it cognitively, but go out and repeat it again and again. And that's because knowing and not doing is to not know because knowing is knowing in the conscious mind. 
But when it comes to doing, the unconscious is running the show 95% of the time. It just runs those habit patterns, the neural pathways, the associations, and we get more of the same over and over and over. And this is why we fall back into that planning fallacy because in our mind, we can see it. We can see ourselves doing it properly. So there's ways around this. Every one of the cognitive biases that I bring up, I will also have the antidote so that we can talk about how to slow that cognitive bias down, how to neutralize it, and how to make it a non-player in your life. But you have to do it at the unconscious level. You have to do it at the nervous system level so that the be, do, have is in charge. Your conscious mind is in charge. And like I talked about the positivity example where you stop the anxiety in its tracks because you're catching it as the trigger is happening. You've been tracking with me. You get the whole part about the 11 million bits per second and the two-tenths of a second reaction time on the conscious mind. And so by the two-tenths of a second, by the time those pass and the conscious mind is engaging, the unconscious has already been off and running with two million bits of information and they're firing and wiring and triggering and you're in fight and flight and didn't even have a chance. So we want to do things at the unconscious level, at the triggering level. So the same trigger that would cause fear and concern and fight or flight, that trigger now creates positivity and creates looking for the things that you want. It creates the making the right decision and not falling for the planning fallacy. So we're going to get into cognitive biases. I'll probably spend somewhere between seven to ten episodes on that because we'll also be talking about application. And then after the cognitive biases, once we can plug up some of the leaks, then we'll get into, into some more of the performance factors and the performance actions, the things that we can actually do intentionally to up, that, to, to up our game. And especially for, especially for salespeople. And I'll give the sales folks, I'll give some ideas that we can do along the way, sort of a dual path, because we want to see you getting some results. It's not enough in the sales world to just plug up the energy leaks if you're not making enough calls. It's not enough to plug up the energy leaks if you're not asking for the order. So we have to make that happen as well. And that's why I like working with salespeople. That's why I like the sales environment, because you can actually measure the results, and the results don't lie. In sales, Either you got it done or you didn't, and it's a great way to measure this works. We'll talk to you next time. We'll start uh, with the review of the confirmation bias and probably get into anchoring bias and a couple more. We'll see you. <laughs>